Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings, everyone. We're just going to get right into this next conversation. I just got to talk to someone not too long ago who I absolutely admire the mostest. Um, And you guys know me. I talk to so many amazing people who I really have great conversations with and I learn a lot from. Um, This time, it's a sister after my own heart, Attica Scott, State Representative, House District 41. Um, And we have a really good conversation about you know, she and I were texting and, and emailing back and forth about racial justice work and what it is to do to have a racial justice lens, have a real racial equity lens, equity lens, generally speaking. Right. And then more specifically, being black women talking about race, um, living in Appalachia, living in some place like Kentucky, uh, legislating and working in Kentucky. You know, you guys know I spent several years living in West Virginia, my home away from home. Um, always a mountain mama, even though I am no longer there. So this conversation with Attica was really awesome to have because um, she and I have a lot of parallels in the way in which we engage and work and build with people. Uh, and then also down to the mama side of things with, 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 with teens off um, to college. It's just so much so there. But I really enjoyed hearing about one, her journey to elected service as well as some of her thoughts about what it is to try and caucus and work across issues, and then also redefining what it means to win. Because um, sometimes when you know when you have your backs up against the wall, particularly when you talk about state state houses, um, legislative work, Democratic caucuses may be outgunned, so to speak, by the Republican caucus. But Attica gives an example of a piece of legislation that, you know, over the years as they've been moving it and moving it along, they've gained more and more support. So while it hasn't quite passed, it is picking up support. And that in of itself is a winning effort. So thinking about what does our long-range strategic planning envisioning look like, particularly we're, we're organizing and getting so many great people elected. Shout out to my sis, Summer Lee, who I can't wait to see hopefully next month from Pennsylvania. Um, we're, we're electing these really transformative, amazing people at the state level, and we need to give them space to do their work, but also we need to provide the accountability and the support, right? The collective responsibility that exists when we're electing and engaging with these amazing people within the system. We have to be there for our folks. We have to show up when they need us to show up. We also have to kind of like, you know, nudge them a little bit when that time comes to, except for, you know, Attica and Summer, I think are among those we don't necessarily have to nudge too much um, doing the work. And, and, and because when you, ha- when you have it at your core, right, when your value proposition is centered towards equity and justice, right, if that is what drives you and moves you to action to doing this work, whether it's in elected service, whether it's in direct organizing, um, in terms of direct actions, whether it's organizing electorally, organizing, uh, organizing legislatively, um, nonprofit social justice organizing, moving people into action, you know, working on transformative political campaigns, like all of that stuff, like we really need to be centered and at our core, particularly as we continue across this 2019 cycle. There are amazing candidates, amazing races being run all over the country right now. And as we're looking towards 2020, it is so easy to be hyper-focused on a presidential top ticket. And it's obvious, you know, why that is, not just because of the constant media and social media cycles, but because, I mean, it's a pretty big deal. But at the same time, there are so many other races and so many people who are running up and down the ballot from DA races and folks running at the county commissioner and justice of the peace and constables, right? We still do have things called constables, um, sheriffs. There, there are tons of people running all over the country when we're looking towards 2020 as well. And we need to make sure that they are not just, 
you know, on our radar to support and vote for, but also that they're on our radar in terms of engaging with them, right? Whether it's providing support in terms of helping them flush through policy, volunteering for their campaigns, or just really showing up once they're elected. You know, it's great to get good people elected. It's great to get out someone who sucked and we didn't all like. But we also need to show up when we have people working on our, our, our pet projects. And I know it's difficult. I know it's a challenge. I know it's not easy for us to always show up and be present. But even sending emails, calling, hitting them up on social media, letting them know that we're present, we're watching, we're here. You know, something that they can take because those are tangible things, right? They can read off text messages, if they need to in a hearing, they can enter, you know, you know, all the emails they get, petitions, things like that. These things help them have the backup they need. So when they are, they are armed and ready when they're going into these different battles, because we know there are many battles ahead, regardless of what party is in charge, no matter whoever's interest is pulling the strings. We know that when it comes to the people and what is best for us, we have to stand solid, strong and continuous with our folks who were sitting in these places. So really excited. I've been seeing some posts from um, my friends who were just elected aldermen in Chicago. Really excited. Matt Martin and, and Andre Vasquez. It's, 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 it's awesome to watch people, you know, you know, ascend to these new levels. But I'm also loving how they're working really hard and hopefully they both through their families and communities will be able to stay truly grounded in who they are. And like I said, in that value proposition of equity and justice. So there's a lot of work that's happened. There are a lot of people doing amazing things. I want to give a shout out, you know, to um, the Democratic Party chair actually here in our state chair, Nakima Williams. You, You guys know I have a very interesting love not like relationship with Democrats at times. I consider myself an independent, non-affiliated voter who caucuses with Dems. But um, Nakima is someone who I've grown to greatly admire, not just from seeing her from afar, but getting to have conversations with her. And like I've shared a couple of times, sitting in the boiler room with her during that weird 10-day period post-November 18 election here in Georgia, tracking down absentee uh, uh, provisional ballots. So um, as her, I think he's a toddler, he's a younger child, under five, you know, plays on the floor with toys while we're all having a meeting and mommy's in the middle of it, like in the thick of it, woman after my own heart. Um, And then also our Gwinnett County, Gwinnett County is a rapidly um, changing demographically county. It's amazing work, but their chairwoman, Bianca, who's, you know, fellow Chicagoan, shout out to Bianca. But Bianca is doing amazing work, and she has a really great team around her. Shout out to my girl, Emily Leslie. I'm just dropping a whole bunch of local folks because, you know, this is what we got to do. We got to lift up local folks. So if y'all are listening and you have local orgs, local people that you want to lift up and you want to shout out, please hit me up, okay? Hit me up and let me know who's doing the work. How can we lift up local heroes? How can we shine a light on the work being done? I mean, I'm really excited to see the work done by Muslim Arc up in Detroit. I mean, there's just so much amazing work that's been happening. You know, I just saw my brother G2 Brown from um, Journey for Justice Education um, just did a conversation on a local news affiliate in Chicago about um, what would an appointed school board look like under the new mayor, Lori Lightfoot. And so there are conversations that are constantly happening post-election, right? There is no off-cycle. People talk about years like this as like the off-cycle or the downturn, or they use it like a launch pad to the next big cycle. But what we know is that they're the business of our lives because politics affects everything in every aspect of our life. We can't, we can't run away from it no matter how much we want to. But how we interact with it How we engage with the system is completely up to us, and we have the opportunity, we have the choice, and we need to make sure we have access to the resources to begin to engage as we see fit to achieve the goals that we have. And I'm reminded by something my sis Tracy um, Quarter just said from CPD, just said to me yesterday, and many other folks have said this, and I've expressed this sentiment before, you know, we know that we're not going to vote our way to liberation. This system that oppresses us is not going to be the same one to liberate us. And that that is a simultaneous effort that needs to be continuously worked on. And there really are some great people doing that work. When we look at what it takes the freedom to thrive in the interim, in the meantime, until we have built out our, our, our sustainable alternatives, 
um, you know, we are we are looking at harm reduction as we engage in the system, and we are looking at how do we make the best possible decisions with the people we have present who are willing to do this work, and move forward and take names and 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 and, 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 and snatching edges the best way we can. So. I'm going to turn it over to this conversation with Attica. Like, Attica just just gave me life chatting with her. And I'm so excited that we were able, over the last several years, I've been watching her since she ran for this seat um, back 2015-2016 cycle. And just really excited to have gotten getting to know her and, 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 and build a friendship. And I am, truthfully, if, if any of you are in Kentucky, I still owe the True Billy. Shout out to the True Billies. They are, they are, I'm trying to be like them when I grow up. I'm, try, I'm trying to get up on their level. They're awesome. Um, but I'm trying to get to Kentucky at some point in time because I want to get on the ground with Attica, but I definitely need to hop on the line and chop, chop it up with True Billies. That's a really dope podcast that you should definitely check out if you're interested in like Appalachia and politics. Um, but I'm going to kick it over to this, this interview finally with Miss Attica. I hope to have more conversations with my people from the region, you know, folks doing organizing in all parts, Midwest, Appalachia, you know, getting outside the traditional hubs where people focus on. And you know me with my new home that has been in the South now for the past five years, I'm definitely all about uplifting voices, you know, down here as well. So this is me and Attica. Check it out. Like, share, subscribe. And holla at me if there are some groups that you want me to highlight. All right, peace. For, again, making time to talk with me. I'm really excited to chat with you more about um, what is it to do, uh, you know, cross-racial, cross-cultural uh, uh, building and organizing um, in a state like Kentucky um, and, and Appalachia, like just really digging in and having the conversations about racial justice. I'm sure there are people who are like, I can't believe you're talking boldly about this stuff giving you serve and live in the state that you do, but it's really necessary. And I think people underestimate the ability to do so as well as the receptiveness, not saying that everybody is, 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 is completely on board, but from my own experience when I was living in West Virginia and Charleston, like there was a lot more space to have these conversations. And I think people realize based on what they think they know about mm-hmm. the area. That's right. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for the the um, invitation to have this conversation because it's so it is important. And um, when you look at a state like Kentucky and and what most folks see outside of our Commonwealth is um, Mitch McConnell and and Rand Paul and of course the governor Matt Bevin. And so they see that and and think that is all of what Kentucky is when it's not. That's not true. Absolutely. So can you just just start, just tell us a little about, you know, just your background and what brought you to the Kentucky legislature. I actually can't. So Louisville is home, born and and for the most part raised here. Um, Spent a few years in Los Angeles when I was very young. That's where my brother was born. Um, But Louisville went through elementary school, middle school, high school through Louisville and then um, went away to college. I wanted to have um, a black college experience because for the most part, my K-12 education was at predominantly white um, public schools. And so I went to Knoxville, Tennessee to attend Knoxville College and uh, really got politicized. That's, that's the beauty and the, one of the beauties and values of an HBCU is that is a place where we can truly get politicized in a way that centers us as black people. And so that was my experience at Knoxville College, and um, I got much more deeply involved and engaged and interested in politics than I had been before I had gone off to college. And so when I came back home, it was to work at Kentucky Jobs with Justice. I was its coordinator. We were doing a lot of work around um, immigrant worker justice, single-payer health care, being in solidarity with uh, labor unions who were organizing folks, et cetera, human rights, social justice work. And, you know, Kentucky is known nationally for its um, uh, intersectional solidarity work. And so that that just really helped to feed uh, my interest in policy, in humane politics, politics that really focus on how do we lift people up and how do we um, serve in a way that's not about us as individuals, but us, the person being the representative of the collective. And so... About 10 years ago, some girlfriends and I, uh, Black and Latinx uh, women, we'd spend, you know, every month together sitting around the kitchen table or on the couch just, you know, talking, whatever. And, of course, the conversation often came back to politics. 
And what we eventually um, decided is that because we felt like no one in local or state office reflected our um, beliefs, our values, our ways in which we were either, you know, raising our children or wanting to be in community, we decided, well, shoot, one of us should run. And then everybody looked at me and they said, well, you have less skeletons in your closet, so we think you should be the one to run and we'll put all of our resources into supporting you. So that's how I ran for office the first time. Didn't win, ran for school board here in Jefferson County, didn't win, and that was okay. I came in second in a five-way race, had never run before, didn't have name recognition, uh, family's last name wasn't a political last name, didn't have a whole lot of um, access to money, but we ran a good ground campaign. And so a year later, I had the opportunity to apply for a vacancy on Louisville Metro Council and um, was appointed to the council. And it was really interesting because the person who nominated me, who I didn't really know well, he said, you know, she didn't have to be here when she was here speaking out on issues like affordable housing and fairness, um, raising the wage, et cetera. So I got to serve for three and a half years on Metro Council, lost my um, second re-election bid, won the first one, lost the second one. And then a year later, I had uh, an amazing uh, state representative by the name of Mary Lou Marzian who came to me. She's been extremely committed to uh, getting more black women and women of color serving in the legislature, and so, or not more, period, uh, serving, because we've gone almost two decades without any women of color, period, serving. And so she has, has made it her commitment I feel over probably the last nine years or so to really actively recruit more of us to run. And so she just said to me for about a year, you need to run for this seat. We need you there. Um, and every time she would call, text, or see me, she'd say, when are you running? And so I started talking to family and friends, and um, it's a long-winded way to get around to saying that folks said, yes, we would support your run. And I ended up running against the 34-year incumbent, primary him, and it was a three-way race, and we won, and we got about 52% of the vote. And so um, that's how I got here. That's how I'm serving in the legislature, and I bring all of that with me. Uh, I definitely value and respect the folks who did the groundwork, knocked on the doors, made the phone calls, mm-hmm. to make sure that I got elected. Yeah, absolutely. And when you, when you, when you just think about, like, there's so many people – it was like, okay, well, I could never run. It's so funny that you had that 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 sister circle conversation. It was like, hmm, which one of us has got the least going on in the background? Who could run? But I think that's a very real conversation, and it sounds like you started off with a a, a crew of folks who were thoughtful and accountable also um, in thinking about what would it take to, to move forward. But also just thinking about how you, you tried, you tried, didn't necessarily win particular elections, but then you still continue building and moving forward um, and always staying grounded. Like, some people either they don't win win a thing and then they just go back to doing whatever else but not still building a community and growing forward. And mm-hmm. then we wonder why we're in the situation we're in today with, with the current political landscape because we check out when we personally don't get something we particularly thought we should or wanted. And just how do you, how did you, with those, with the races you did not win, how did you stay focused and engaged, you know, in terms of this overall greater effort to, to be a part of um, driving the change that you felt was needed in your particular community or at whichever level of office you were seeking? I so appreciate that question because if not, easy to lose, right? I mean, you put yourself out there, you open yourself up, you make yourself vulnerable, um, and then you lose, and all the emotions went through me. What did I do wrong? What do I do next, if anything? I let all of these people down. Will people ever believe in, in who I can be for them as an elected, you know, official? All those emotions. Um, it, can I take my family through this again? Are my friends ready to do this again, et cetera? And so that first loss, I have a, a strong foundation of faith. And so that first loss, I remember talking to my pastor and just saying, you know, how do I, I move forward? What do I do? And he said, give yourself a day uh, to be down and out, and then you get up, dust yourself off, uh, come to church on Sunday, and you keep doing the work you were doing. And so that was such important advice for him 
to give me and to just remind me to, to take myself out of it because it was never about me. I was never running because of me. Yes, I was running for school board because I had two kids in the public school system and I came up in the same system and I, I care about educational issues and I'm passionate about them, but I was running because this collective of women and many of whom had families asked me to run and said they would support me. And so that advice from him and then continuing to be engaged, just remembering that uh, if I was truly committed to the people who were sending me to run, then I can't back away from doing that, continuing that work simply because I lost an election. That's not the end all be all. Um, life went on, and so I had to keep doing the important work of um, building power uh, for people of color, especially black women. That was really my focus, black women, how do we build our political power, but also realizing that we, we can't do it alone and we sh we shouldn't want to like we i mean if if we're truly in community with people then that means that my latinx sisters i want their power to be built as well my asian sisters etc and so just working together to continue to build our power and so that that fueled me to keep going but also you know to have my daughter the day after that election say the people of the district made a mistake they got it wrong and she was like eight and for her to say that at eight to say they got it wrong mom it's okay they got it wrong and and to have her and my son be the, the kind of people who were knocking on doors and asking for people's votes like mm -hmm. i couldn't let them down either i couldn't say to them well you know just because mom you know didn't have some toys to play with in the sandbox she's going away and and uh, not coming back uh, to be engaged or involved anymore. So that community work fuels me. Uh, it kept me going, even with the loss um, for re-election on Metro Council. I stayed engaged, stayed involved. And those same community folks, when it came time to run for state rep, said, yes, you have a broad vision. That vision needs to be in our state capital. We're going to do the work to make sure that you get there. And, and this is the other piece I have to, to add to this, is that almost every single one of the women who worked on my very first campaign have all either run for office and or been the campaign manager for successful runs um, for office for other people. So, it, again, it goes back to what were we building. It was, it has never been about me as the individual. It's always been about what are we building towards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that, too, when you're thinking about building, like coalition building, even internal to, uh, like, you as a candidate, but still serving as, an incubator or a a, a a starting point for others to move into, you know, that work in a very particular way. Can you, and just, just thinking about now, you know, you've, you've been elected to the state legislature, just think about what are some of the major um, challenges and, and efforts that you have been most interested in, in, in championing or that have really grabbed your attention? since you've entered service? Definitely um, issues around uh, public education. How do we make sure that we support public education because it's um, the the biggest opportunity for, um, it, it has the opportunity to have the biggest impact on um, students across the Commonwealth because that's what they have access to. And then uh, this session I've really been committed to uh, girls and women and our health. And so whether it's the pink tax bill that I filed or the bill to remove taxes from certain baby products or providing uh, free feminine hygiene products in our prisons and in our uh, public colleges, colleges and universities, just really focused on um, the health of girls and women. And, and I came to um, the legislature and serve on the elections committee having been part of the coalitions that were advocating for restoration of voting rights. And so um, restoration of voting rights remains a, a passion of mine. Expanding voting remains a passion of mine. Just really um, thinking about the people that I serve and the people across the Commonwealth who want to vote, but we have ridiculous barriers erected for them to vote. So those, those are the kinds of issues that I've brought to the legislature because of the people that I serve who've made asks of me to focus on those issues, also because of my own life experiences, whether personal or professional, and traveling across the Commonwealth, talking to people, engaging with folks, and asking them or hearing them say what was important to them, and then coming back and being an advocate around those issues. And so 
you know, the, the example that I often give is, no, we, we don't yet have the crisis that Knox County or Martin County and many other counties in Kentucky have around the water crisis not being able to drink or bathe in their water. But we in West Louisville, which is predominantly black, and I serve part of West Louisville, we have an issue with toxic air and um, the chemical companies that are located here in West Louisville. So if we can't build a coalition across urban and rural that is focused on these environmental issues that impact all of us, then we're in trouble as a commonwealth. And so, you know, I've been passionate about those issues as well and, and um, being in solidarity with my colleagues in Eastern Kentucky who are working to address those issues. Yeah, for sure. And just using that example, when we were just talking about like how the concentration, the concentration of environmental issues, right, across urban and rural areas. And this was something that I really picked up on my own time in West Virginia. Um, that when I first started learning about how heavily impacted local water systems were, right, and the threat of, you know, the potential for clean. Water. We, we we have now been five years post Flint, so you know there has been some more chatter, increased chatter nationwide, but there still has not been, I think, the national urgency around concerns, environmental concerns in many of our communities across urban and rural areas. And we think about the potential for, you know, collective organizing and coalition building. It's so rich around these particular issues. I remember one thing I was saying to to a friend, I was like, you know, from the hood to the holler, like there are all there's all this commonality, right? And yet there are seemingly barriers that are really artificial, um, I mm-hmm. think in many ways, that keep us from having these conversations. So just like from your, because, you know, just, just scrolling through your Twitter feed one day, I saw people like, yes, please come down to this other area of Kentucky that's not where you, you know, are representative of. But come down here and talk to us too, or come let's build. Like, can you talk to me about some of that that effort to do um, cross regional, you know, uh, uh, organizing, coalition building around these really important issues? I mean, that that's been beautiful. When, in 2018, when I was I'm thinking about running for governor, it was beautiful to see people across Kentucky extend those invitations and and say please come to our counties. We'd love to hear from you. And it goes back, I think, to your initial point around the um, artificial barriers that are created um, for us so that we can't build community or at least there are efforts to prevent us from doing so. Because the reality is we all have so many issues that are the same. And if we can build from those commonalities, we can really um, change our uh, localities and change our states and change this country, and so that means that we have to do that work. And so that meant that yes, I'm going to the very places that I've been, been invited to go to, and my message remains the same: that um, I believe that people in rural areas have an obligation to, uh, when people are um, saying things that are stereotypical about West Louisville, where I live, that's predominantly black, to say no, that's not true. Or how do you know if you've never been there? Stop believing what you hear. Uh, maybe in mainstream media or from even your own politicians who never really spent time in my neighborhoods. And I have a responsibility as an urban legislator to do the very same to people when they uh, make assumptions about rural areas. It also means that you know, if there is an issue, if there is a need in a rural area, that I'm going to do my best to help amplify that issue as a legislator. And if there's something that's going on uh, in my area, then I'm going to reach out to some of my folks that I've made contacts with in rural areas to say, hey, this is what we have going on here uh, in District 41 that I serve, and it might be an upcoming voter registration drive. And we'd love to have some folks from Esco County or Powell County um, or, or Barron County in western Kentucky come and do some voter registration with us so you can really see what it's like on the ground in the neighborhoods that I serve. So I've been really committed to that and also – um, committed to saying to folks that we have to demand more of our elected officials and we have to also uh, expect that our elected officials will stand with one another. So whether it's um, the gang bill, for example, that was a, a big issue for us these past two legislative sessions and to have um, legislators from 
um, you know, a legislator from Pike County, for example, stand up and say, you know, I'm listening to my colleagues who serve in areas that this bill is going to impact, and I'm going to stand with them and vote against this bill. Like, that's huge because that's that's part of that relationship building and saying, you know, it, please respect us and value us and know that we live this experience. And so if we're saying to you this bill is going to hurt um, the young people in our community, especially young men of color, then please let's look at other ways of addressing the so-called gang um, violence that we have in, say, you know, Lexington and Louisville. And so if we keep doing that, I really believe that we're going to uh, be able to transform our commonwealth in a way that uh, helps us to build our political power. But if we decide to um, operate in the same way that we have been, where none of us are benefiting, but regardless of whether you're in an urban or rural area, then we're going to see our commonwealth continue to lose the battle against um, poverty and environmental uh, injustice and racism, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and just thinking about some of the this building beyond some of the misconceptions and stereotypes that people have of the different areas, right? And I appreciate what you were saying about um, trying to figure out how to work with your colleagues to address issues that, 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 well, that in our community recognize our issues of concern but aren't legislated in a way that actually cause a more harmful impact and are not actually addressing the underlying issue, particularly when people do start thinking about how do they legislate and address issues around gangs and, and, and crime and things of that nature. So in thinking about what is it like to be in a state like Kentucky and advocating for matters of accountability justice, particularly thinking about racial justice, can you just talk to me a little bit about what has been your experience in, you know, discussing and, and pushing for, you know, matters of racial justice in the context of also living in and organizing. While you're in an urban district, I mean, you're still in a very rural state overall. And I'm in an urban district, but um, one of the things that I, I keep lifting up for folks is mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that the folks here have a racial justice analysis mm-hmm. either, Absolutely. right? Just because you're Absolutely. in an urban area, it doesn't mean that you have uh, – local or even state legislators who committed to a racial justice analysis, but I'm appreciative of the folks who have. Like, we finally have someone um, in uh, leadership from Jefferson County, and she does have a racial justice analysis, and she's able to bring that to our state capitol and to our own party as Democrats, and so that's been extremely um, important this uh, past legislative session to have that perspective. And so, for me, what that means is that um, have, be, being able to develop stronger uh, relationships with my colleagues who are black, we have a black legislative caucus and really building stronger relationships with one another and um, being really intentional about those issues where we need to make sure we have a, a collective voice and that we're reaching out to our other colleagues to say, and this is a real issue that you as a white person and you as a caucus of mostly white people need to be speaking up about, whether it's, you know, comparing abortion to the Holocaust or lynching and slavery, saying to our, our women's caucus, for example, we need you with us on this issue, regardless of where you stand on abortion, it's not the same as the murder of six million Jewish people or the enslavement of black folks. And so... Um, building that kind of stronger connection and relationship with one another has been important. Um, speaking out on uh, the issues that we know are um, hurtful to many of the people that we serve. And also um, pushing our leadership in in our uh, caucus as Democrats in the House and saying we also need to hear more from you on these issues. You're in leadership, and so you have the ability to speak on the House floor and denounce um, what you see and hear happening, whether it's uh, a white uh, older male legislator yelling at a younger black man who is a legislator and telling him to sit down um, because he's gone over his time to speak. That That is unacceptable, and we're not going to sit back as a black caucus and just throw up our hands and say, well, you know, there are only seven of us and 93 white people, so I guess we'll just let it go. No, we are going to speak up and we're going to expect more from you and we're going to hold your feet to the fire because if you claim to be um, a Democrat, then that should mean that you have a commitment to our humanity as black people. And so 
that that has been uh, my experience since I've been in Frankfurt. I've been serving it uh, in the legislature for three sessions now, and every single session there's some issue around um, uh, racism and sexism that, that rears its head that we have to address. And we address it. We address it head on. We don't allow ourselves to, um, because we are small in numbers, to minimize ourselves. Because if we minimize ourselves, then we've already lost. And so we've uh, made it very clear that we're going to amplify our voices collectively, and we're going to hold the very folks who uh, claim to be our brothers and sisters in this political struggle, we're going to hold their feet to the fire and hold them accountable to the people that we serve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important when you're talking about even for smaller numbers, we still need to stand strong collectively and, and, and demand accountability from the folks around us, our colleagues and otherwise. Um, can you just talk a little bit, just go a little bit more into, like, deciding to do that? Because I know in some instances it can feel to people easier to just go along with the flow, right, to not draw mm-hmm. too much heat, to just, but, but, but it just, I just, it just seems like there's such a, there's a greater opportunity and greater purpose when we do enter these seats, do, do enter these spaces, these halls at the halls of power, to push and help change not just, like, the actual laws, we're talking about legislating, right, but actually, like, shifting culture and, and mm-hmm. how we talk about and address these issues. And like you said, even how we address each other in, 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 in demanding respect. Yeah, it's, it's um, definitely one of those situations where we could look at our numbers and just say, you know what, we're um, – we're blessed to be here, and we're just going to sit here and uh, take whatever is thrown at us uh, for fear of retaliation because we spoke up or uh, fear that the political establishment, even in our own party, is going to try to uh, work against us to, to get us either out of office or prevent us from running for, for another office um, because we refuse to um, be silent, even about our own party. And and we can't do that because we weren't elected to do that. We were not elected by the people who um, we serve, the people that we represent, to go to our state capitol and be silent about any of these issues. Um, we, we, aren't, we aren't silent when there's an attack on public employees, so why should we be silent when there's an attack on black folks? We're not um, asked to be silent when there's an attack on women and our ability to make our own reproductive health decisions. So why should we be silent when there's an attack on our sister who's the first ever Indian immigrant serving? No, we are not going to be silent when any of us are under attack. And we shouldn't be expected to be silent. In fact, we should expect that those very people who expect us to stand up for them and to be there for them Mm -hmm. are going to also be there for us. And so that's the other way that we've come at this as well. I, I know last uh, session when we had the teacher uprisings and teachers coming to our state capitol. We also had the gang bill that I referenced earlier um, being debated. And many of us went to the teachers who were in our state capitol and said, you're here, and since you're here, we also need your help on this issue. So can you talk to your state representative and your state senator about this issue as well, because it's going to impact your students and the families that you love and support. And so that was important for us to be able to um, shift things. So the first year that the bill was heard, only three of us voted against it. And then last year when the bill was heard, 30 people voted against it. That happens when mm. you um, work together and say, we can't be one-issue people. We, you, we can't have teachers come to Frankfurt and only focus on their one issue around public pensions. We need you because you're here in huge numbers to also be concerned about these other issues that impact uh, your communities, and so that's right. how we push back. That's how we build. Right, and I appreciate that, especially like drawing not simply on the commonality, but the the interrelatedness of these different issues. And it is really, really easy because we are so bogged down with having to fight for so many different things across so many different topics and communities. It is, it, you, you do see folks who are like, okay, this is my issue. This is what we're advocating, organizing on. I think that's really awesome how you all were able to say, like, hey, we support you. We appreciate this. Can you also lend your voice to this thing that's also happening over here? And, and seeing that leveraging, seeing that cross-pollination, right, to an extent, is, um, is really a powerful example of 
you know, co- coalition building and how we keep building momentum. Like, none of this is a one-and-done deal, right? We're always playing a longer game strategy to mm-hmm. building the capacity to actually move the needle on whichever issue. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about, you know, healthcare, the way the conversation we're having on healthcare now was started a long time ago, but we're on mm-hmm. the national stage having the conversations we're having now, right? The conversations we're having nationwide about raising the minimum wage, about so many different issues are like it's constant, you know, ongoing. So how do you sustain, you know, the effort on these issues like in the meantime, right? Because everyone is so, condi- not everyone, but many of us are conditioned to thinking like, okay, we go do this big thing, either we win or we don't. But like, how do you help people understand how they redefine what winning looks like? I am extremely fortunate to um, come to political office from an activism and organizing background. That has helped to mm-hmm. prepare me for those conversations to say, folks, we're going to lose more than we win, so get ready. Roll up your sleeves and get ready to lose more than we win. That's an honest conversation. Let's be real about that. And when we win, let's celebrate. Let's lift one another up. Let's affirm one another. Let's celebrate. When we lose, let's celebrate what we did to build momentum, to build power, to build energy, to build interest, Um, because a a loss is often an opportunity to to be better next time. And so we might not get uh, a restoration of voting rights this year, but we go back mm-hmm. to people and we say, look at how many more people we brought to this fight. We're going to win next year. And so that's mm-hmm. um, often how I'm able to sustain the people who are part of the movement work. But then, you know, sustaining myself means um, being very clear about um, what are my boundaries and what are my um, expectations of myself and of others because I just am very uh, determined to – um, not allow people to only expect from me and only pull from me when I'm not saying going back to them and saying, and this is what I need from you. Because that's not healthy to just say you can only pull from me, um, but I never go back to you and say, wow, I represent 44,000 people in District 41, and I'm never going to ask you for anything. That's not true. I'm actually going to ask you um, to step up on some of these issues that we're fighting for you about. And so that helps me to um, – keep myself healthy emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, it also makes a difference to have uh, family members and friends who have said to me from day one, we're going to do what we can because we, we help to get you there to make sure that you are healthy. Mm. So, you know, whether it's preparing mm-hmm. meals or, you know, when my kids were younger, making sure that um, they had someone to pick them up from school if they needed a ride from school or whatever the case um, maybe they have always um, circled themselves around me to do that. But then also being able to see the other people who have been part of my campaign end up running for office themselves or working on other um, campaigns, to see that and to say, this, we're actually we're building something here. We are building something. It's not, like you said, a one and done. Oh, we got you elected and, and that was it. We're done. No, it's you were one step for us to see what we were able to do, and now we're looking at uh, judicial seats. We're looking at uh, county attorney seats. We're looking at all these other seats to say, you know, how can we win those? What do we need to do to build toward winning those seats? And we're doing it. We're winning. Um, and so that helped me to be sustained to say that we're building something, mm. like you said, that's more than just this one um, victory or this one seat that was won. It's what more is there to build for the long term? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, definitely. And just looking at, I, 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 when you say, you know, I'm fortunate to have come from a background of activism and organizing, it's like I really, I really feel like many of our elected officials, so many of them could benefit from, like, an organizer one-on-one training, right, or just mm-hmm. just how to how to build collectively to to move agenda forward and not just sit siloed on particular issues or think that you have to give in to people because they might seemingly have more numbers, right? I think I think it's good for us as constituents, those of us who are not in elective office, to hear from elected officials what, what is needed of us um to make things move. Like 
it's a misconception that when we elected you, we sent you to office to go do your work. Not that we also need to go into that house with you to get that work done. And I, I think it's also like a collective reimagining of what does it mean, you know, to to serve and to legislate and to build um, right. in these ways beyond what we're traditionally used to seeing. That's so true. And and for me, I was in a unique position when I was elected in 2016 and began serving in 2017 um, to be even more comfortable going back to people and saying that because I was the only black woman and the only black woman to serve in our legislature in nearly 20 years and the only woman Mm -hmm. of color period in the entire 138-member body. And so I definitely was going back to people and saying, I'm not going to allow myself to be here um, and feel alone and to feel um, as if I'm by myself, although I knew I wasn't. That that wasn't um, what I was trying to say to people. What I was trying to say to mm-hmm. people is I'm coming back to you with what I need from you so I can stay there and I can do the work to get other women of color elected. And we did it. Last year we got the first ever Indian immigrant serving uh, a woman. And so nice. you know, we got a two-woman person of color caucus, woman of color caucus. But I was not going to allow myself to serve without – knowing that I can go back to the people and say, this is what I need from you in order to continue mm-hmm. doing this work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just, just thinking about just, just going forward, and, I mean, we're going into, there are, you all have state, you all have state-wide elections happening in Kentucky. There's so much conversation happening um, about 2020 and who's going to be president, the Democratic nominee, blah, blah, blah. But Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, I know Virginia has some elections. You know, all have statewide elections. We have local elections happening all over the country. There's an election happening somewhere in this country every single year, and in mm-hmm. some states they have come, in some states there are elections every year. Um, and there's just so much focus on these top level ticket races, and it just seems like we need a collective reimagining of how we engage at state and local level in terms of getting people to really come into the process. You know, just any thoughts you have on like how you know that building, how that effort is. Unfolding, unfolding now at the state level race that you all have for governor or mm-hmm. in any of the other seats in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, we've got um, the, the gubernatorial elections are this year, and all five of our um, constitutional offices are up for mm-hmm. uh, election this year. So it's a big year for us in Kentucky, and I really appreciate it following your conversations on Twitter with people about the presidential elections and the primaries and the fact that, yes, we have to criticize the candidates. We have to challenge and question. And that's the same um, conversation that I'm raising here in Kentucky is saying, you know, what's the purpose of a primary election if we're not using that opportunity to look at someone's voting record, if we're not Mm -hmm. using that opportunity to um, find out from them where they stand on the issues that we're most uh, concerned about, if we're not using that opportunity to also build. I mean, we can have a record number of people registered who then decide not to come out and vote because none of the candidates are speaking to their issues and concerns. If you say right. that I'm the, the candidate for rural Kentucky, what you said to me and my daughter who is uh, 18 is that you're not the candidate for us. And if you don't bother showing up at any of the candidate forums, forums that um, black folks organized or Latinx folks organized, you're making it very clear that you're not the candidate for us as people of color. And so, yes, I'm going to raise those issues during the primary election because I need to know and I want other people to be thinking very um, intentionally about who they're going to vote for. It's um, mm-hmm. We don't have time for voting for someone because of their last name. We don't have um, many of us, our humanity is on the line, so we can't have you just vote for somebody because you like them. We need to know you're going to vote for someone who's going to fight for all of us. And so for me, that's what that conversation looks like in Kentucky. It, it's a conversation right. that says, yes, we have to get that governor out of office, but it's more than anyone but him. It's more than anyone but him. It is about mm-hmm. someone who's going to fight for mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. And, and just even thinking about how he got elected. Back in 2015, because I remember, I remember watching you all's race. Um, I remember watching you all's governor's race because it was right after, because your governor seat flipped, right? Like, like you had an outgoing young governor, if I remember correctly, and then he came in, and it was. I remember thinking it was a similar 
um, issue, as we saw in West Virginia in 2014, you had extremely low turnout. You had a dim um, state legislature in both houses, and then just extreme low turnout. The coalition building was not being done. The the, the work was in the ground, you know, groundwork was not being done, and we saw that house for the first time in 80 years in West Virginia flip from dim to Republican, and we saw a lot of backsliding of various provisions and stuff like that that people were fighting for to push for were then, like, rescinded, and now you've seen the last several years in West Virginia that you've seen, um, with, you know, different battles and stuff going on. And I remember seeing Kentucky, because if I remember that election correctly, there was really low voter turnout in that election mm-hmm. as well. And mm-hmm. you got this really awful person as governor mm-hmm. um, who promised to, who, who keeps trying to do things like, um, I don't know, like, 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 I'm just trying to remember, like, there's just been so much over the past four years. Trying to, trying to do yeah, trying to steal teachers' pensions. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so been one of the biggest issues, uh, taking away uh, unemployment insurance benefits from workers and workers right. with disabilities. I mean, just so much. Every, it's, been, uh, it's been egregious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just, from, just from watching, cause, because, like, like I tell folks all the time, because of my time in West Virginia, I spent seven, eight years in total. I was in West Virginia for one year in high school, and then seven years as an adult. So that whole region, like, I do try and pay attention because, like, I just have a real interest. And I learned a lot from my time living there. So, like I said, I, I, and then when I learned of, you know, you and your race, I was like, oh, it made me pay a little bit more attention. But so so I think it's important what you're saying, though, about holding people accountable, particularly when Kentucky recently had a dim as governor, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. not impossible. It's not like this is some – it's not like we're thinking of like some place that has never had hasn't had a dim governor in mm-hmm. however many decades, and it's barely possible. And even we haven't had one in two decades here in Georgia, and we very nearly had one except for you know a yeah. last election, right? Mm-hmm. So the possibility in particular to actually build and talk to people across the issues exists, and it's very evident. And yet, it still seems like some of these candidates and their consultants and staff are very insistent on falling back on this old way code language that is not going to turn people out the way they need you to win. That's right. That's right. And, and and sometimes these consultants can be the worst because they really, um, they often, it seems to me from, you know, the talking points that you hear and the, um, uh, campaign ads and materials that, at least that I see, they are so disconnected from uh, the very people who would otherwise come out and vote, and they're pushing their candidates in that direction to be more and more disconnected, and so they don't um, campaign in a way that energizes any particular kind of base, in all honesty. Uh, the people who come out to vote are people like me who are just, you know, we're, we're coming out every single election, no matter what, and um but the the thing is, people like me aren't then going to to other folks and saying this candidate right here is the one because that candidate is not the one. That candidate is one of, uh, in Kentucky's case for governor, three options, and uh, you have to choose which option you think is um, going to actually stand up for us. So it's uh, very concerning that in Kentucky anyway we have a, a gubernatorial race where. Uh, the issues of many of us as, as black folks have been overwhelmingly overlooked, and uh, there hasn't been any real uh, effort to reach out to even those of us who serve in the legislature who were elected by people to represent them to mm-hmm. say, you know, let's talk about some of the issues and concerns that are important in your district. I mean, if you're not even going to make the effort, but then turn around and expect us to uh, energize a, a voting base for you, that's not how that works. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And we're well, that's every time. A, yeah, and that seems to be, you know, thinking of the president, that seems to be, you know, just the just the nature of the way that people are doing and engaging with communities. That seems to be a common issue. Like, you might be good on these one or two or three issues. You might be all right. You might not be good on any. We're gonna be okay. You're definitely better than the other guy. But that's not saying much because he's awful, right? Mm-hmm. Like this notion that we can't actually ask for and advocate for better mm-hmm. just because the other the person existing is the worst 
So, like, That's just right. prolonging and moving the bar down and down further, further, saying that we can't actually, we got to still hold off in our communities in particular, whether you're talking about, you know, regardless of whether you're talking about, uh, you know, white or black rural communities, because mm-hmm. rural's not only white, right, or, right. or you know, marginalized urban communities, you're still talking collectively about communities that have been without relief for a mm. very long time already, and we're being mm-hmm. asked to delay that request for the sake of continuing the status quo, which is at times, you know, led by mediocre individuals who don't want to be challenged and do better. And so I commend you, though, for driving that conversation and for still saying, like, I'm keeping my options open. I want to see who answers these questions. I'm not endorsing until I see who answers, can answer these questions and how they answer them. And we need more of that. This That's makes right. the process better. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And it's, and it's, um, it's relief that our, um, many of our communities have not had and it's representation. So, you know, in Kentucky mm-hmm. in, the, in the governor's race, you've got, um, the Republican governor who, uh, when he won in 2015, part of the reason is because he had identified a black woman as his lieutenant governor candidate. And then this year he's identified a Latinx man as his lieutenant governor uh, mm. running mate. But none of the Democratic um, candidates, all white men, none of them identified a black person, Latinx, any other person of color to run as their running mate. And yet you keep wanting us to come back to you as black folks and, and people of color and vote for you. But you're not even going as far as the Republican candidates even have us reflected. Uh, and he's as awful. So that's a thought. That, that's wow, because he's awful. And yes. Even thinking about the importance of that, right? Like, let people need to be real. Tony Evers seems like a really nice person. Tony Evers is the governor of Wisconsin. But Mandela Barnes and the excitement around yes. Mandela Barnes as lieutenant that's governor right. really drove that ticket to victory. Like, that's right. You know, getting and, and getting rid of Scott Walker, right? Having that's having right. a villain, right? But but then we also had someone to vote. Well, not we, but like people in Wisconsin had someone to vote mm-hmm. for because mm-hmm. Mandela is just really exciting. Had all the really great organizations and organized yeah. stuff behind him, pushing and really invigorated people, and and not understanding why that's necessary. And this notion, this fear that if you embrace black people in power somehow, right, or empower mm-hmm. black black folks in these ways, that it somehow will turn people off or you won't get certain voters, more than likely those voters weren't voting for you anyway. That's Let's right. be honest. Exactly. Let's be honest. That's right. If people are so willing to vote against, you know, making sure teachers are safeguarded and protected, and teachers affect every single last one of our families and communities, yeah. right, like, like how we treat teachers, making sure that you know, with, with Medicaid expansion. I mean, there's just so many things that are on the that are at stake that affect all of our communities across the board. If you're going to vote against someone or not support someone because they have a running mate of color, which apparently that doesn't even matter because the, the Republican is doing it. Like, yes, <laughs> like it's just, yes. It's just, what are our values? Like, what do you value? Is what it gets to with Democrats in some of these conversations. Like, what is it that you actually value? And, and and what are you willing to do to defend the values of the communities that you're claiming you want to represent and that you you're requesting they show up for you, but you're not trying Definitely. to show up for them? And and what message do you send to us about um, how much or how little you value us? If you actually think mm-hmm. that adding us to your ticket is a detriment and you're a Democrat, you just sent a strong message to us about what you think about mm-hmm. us. Mhm, mhm, absolutely. It's it's a powerful, it's a very powerful conversation that we had. It's one I definitely want to keep following up with you across the rest of this 2019 cycle because, like I keep telling everyone, we're so focused on 2020 and rightfully, understandably so, but mm-hmm. we do have powerful opportunities at the state and local level this year and every year where there is a state level and local level elections to really make meaningful change happen for our communities. I mean, coalition building is not something you do six weeks out to get someone elected. It is That's an right. ongoing process that mm-hmm. has to be nurtured and invested in. It's, a, it's an ongoing process. And I wanted to make sure before we go that um, I welcome you to Kentucky because part of that has to be uh, not 
only waiting until, mm-hmm. you know, the, the voter registration deadline, 30 days before election, mm-hmm. to do a push for registering people to vote. Yes. Every year since I've been in the legislature, I've done a Juneteenth voter registration drive, one, to amplify the importance of Juneteenth and why people observe Juneteenth, but also to be very mm-hmm. um, focused on making sure we're registering people to vote in predominantly black uh, neighborhoods that I serve. Mm-hmm. And then in Kentucky, we have uh, August 8th, which is our Kentucky Emancipation Day, and we do the same thing, a voter registration drive on August 8th. So, you know, I'm, I'm welcoming you to Kentucky for any of those dates or so whatever we see, do. So let me see. Another one to get herself to Kentucky. We have an event here that I think I have to work for GDP. But let me see if I can get there in August because, seriously, though, like, I really mean it because – the work that is being done and lifting, lifting up voices like yours, lifting up work being done, helping to show just examples of how we can do this, how we can build, not just within our own community spaces, but like what, what, what people think of as cross-cultural, cross-regional, like organizing and work is so crucial and important, and we have to keep figuring out and doing it. So I'm down to come to Kentucky, sis. I'm going to figure it out. But I appreciate okay. it so much for joining me today and having this awesome conversation. And I look forward to finding more time for more conversations and definitely getting on the ground with you in Kentucky. Awesome. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely.